There's the series slide. We're in a little series called Ephesians chapter 1. When we finish that series, we'll start a new series called Ephesians chapter 2, and so on. So that's how this is working. We might have a few topical messages in between. We're going to have a couple Christmas messages coming up for a few Sundays in December, so they will interrupt our progress in Ephesians. But that's where we are. There's the series that we're in. And here's what we've seen so far. We've seen that God, the verse we read earlier, God wants us to have a sense of how blessed we are so we can go around blessing Him. Well, how blessed are we? Blessing number one, we've already seen, is He chose us. And now we're at blessing number two, He adopted us. So that's what's coming next. He adopted us. Let's read the passage. Here it is. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So, He chose us, bless Him, and now secondly, He adopted us, so blessing, bless Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption. We're going to open this up in three points. There's more coming later in the sermon. This is the first part of the sermon. Three points on this verse, and here they are. We'll put them on the screen. We're going to talk about what He did, namely, He adopted us, what we were like when He did it, dead, spiritually dead, and thirdly, the reason He did it, to the praise of His grace. So here we go. What He did, He adopted us. So the previous point was He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He, but there's nothing in that about, there's nothing there specifically about how He loved us. There's nothing familial in that. It could be it could be like surgical, it could be cold, it could be steely, it could be robotic. He chose us. I choose you. Could have been like that. But here Paul takes us an extra step and says, and I want you to know it's all rooted in the love of God. This is the part where the love comes in. This is the part where family comes in. This is the part where he becomes our father and we become his children. In love, he predestined us for adoption. This is where love enters the relationship. If we flip quick to another doctrine in the Bible, a very important doctrine, the doctrine of justification, in which God declares the believing sinner just. God the judge brings down his gavel and declares you just because you've called on the name of the Lord Jesus. That could be distant, cold, surgical. If you're in court and a judge says, I acquit you of all crimes, that doesn't mean he loves you. Doesn't mean he wants to adopt you. But in this court, no sooner does the gavel come down than the judge pulls off his robe, throws down the gavel, comes out to you and says, I understand you're an orphan. I love you. I want to adopt you. I want you to call me father. I want to call you my son, my daughter. That's what this adoption is. This is where the love comes in. This is where the family comes in. And notice, take us back to the verse, please, O slide man. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption. He predestined us for adoption. That's back a slide or two, slide man. Going backwards, thank you. In love, he pre- there it is. He predestined us for adoption to himself. It's in love. This adoption starts with love. 
And what did he do in love? He predestined us. Same word we saw last week. It means, it's, the Greek word is pra-horizo, pra ahead of time, horizo, to draw a horizon around, to draw a circle around. In eternity past, God in his sovereign purposes and according to his divine will determined that certain ones, all that would believe on the Lord Jesus, in fact, all that he would call to himself by grace through faith, they, they would be adopted, and he put a circle around you for adoption. He put a mark around you for adoption, and he predestined us for adoption. You become a child of God. Now, there's a general sense in which all humans are the offspring of God. Paul the Apostle says as much in Acts chapter 17, are we not his offspring? There's a general sense in which we all derive our life from him. We sang that earlier, in him we live and move and have our being. It's his breath in our nostrils. So there's a sense in which we all come from God and and we're all part of the family of God in that broad sense. But there's a much narrower and much more important way in which family of God is discussed in the Bible, and that is once you have cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus... Once you have believed on the Lord Jesus and be saved, been saved, you become a part of the special, redeemed family of God. Of that family, he says in the Bible, I have loved them with an everlasting love. Jesus Christ says of them, I've loved them to the uttermost. Even as the Father loves the Son, I so have I loved them. There's a, there's a level of family love that doesn't exist in the common grace of God's general creative love. There's a level of love and redemption that doesn't exist in common grace. And so this is what Paul's teaching us about here in Ephesians chapter 1. He predestined us in love for adoption so that we would know his love. Now, it's interesting, they picked this verse to go in while we were singing, and I didn't know that, and they didn't know I'd be preaching on this, but you're going to hear the same verse again that they picked, because there are other passages that talk about this adoption, and each one adds a little more and a little more and a little more to our understanding, so I want us to look at them. The first one is John chapter 1. He, the Lord Jesus, came to his own, the Jewish people. What happened? and his own people did not receive him. Some did, most did not. Generally, as a nation, they did not all turn to the Lord Jesus. But to all who did receive him, to all who said, yes, I'll have you. Yes, please be my Lord, my master, my Messiah, my sovereign, my God. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. Those things are just about synonymous. Those things are just about parallel. When you believe on his name, you receive him. When you receive him, you believe on his name. To all of those, now watch this, he gave the right. We're going to come back to that. That's important. He gave the right to become children of God in that narrow sense, in that special sense, with that everlasting love sense, that love to the uttermost sense. He gave them the right to become that kind of children of God. And then they're further described. They were those who received him. They're those who believed in his name. Now they're further described. Those who were born, not of blood, not a human birth, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, not a human birth, but they're born the second birth. They're born of God. They're born again. They're reborn by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to all of those, look in the middle of it now, he gave the right, 
to become children of God. What's that about? He gave the right. Well, well, here's what that is. So imagine, some of you won't have to imagine, it was true in your life, you're an orphan. And you decide, I'd like to have parents. All these other kids have parents, I'd like to have parents. So I'm gonna go find me some parents. So you walk into Starbucks one day and there's a couple sitting there and you walk up and say to them, um, I'm your son now, you're my parents. Now you don't have the right to do that. You can't tell them that. And you can't tell God, I'm now, no, God gave you the right. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were fallen, you were far from God. But God said, when you believe on me, when you believe on my divine son, I will give you the right to be my adopted son. I'll give you the right to be my adopted daughter. He gives us a right. Who gets the right? Receivers and believers and new birthers. Let's go to 1 John where we see some more about this. We unpack it a little more. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. See what kind of love. The word see on the front, that's lame. It's the word in other translations, behold. That's better. They couldn't use behold because they needed their translation to get different so it would sell. But it's lame. It's the word behold. It means look. See this. Notice this. Check this out. Most verses in the Bible don't start with a behold. So when a Bible verse starts with behold, you ought to put on the brakes and behold. So behold what kind of love the Father has given to us. We're supposed to see this. It is a special kind of love. It is an unusual kind of love. Well, what is it? What's the nature of it? Here it is, that we should be called children of God. We who walked according to the lusts of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit of disobedience, we who violated his laws and grieved his Holy Spirit wounded our own consciences, and did it again and again and again. And what kind of love he's given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children. Some of you are not believers. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. We want you to become believers. You're wondering, well, what's it all about? What do I really get if I become one of these Christ followers? There's something you'll get. You'll receive the right to be called a child of God. You'll be one of his blood-bought children, follower of the Savior. Let's go to Romans where Paul unpacks this some more. There's some goodies waiting for us in Romans. Try and tantalize you, keep you listening. Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Stop there, we have to understand that. What's Paul saying? When he's talking about being led by the Spirit of God there, he is not talking about getting leading in personal decision-making. It's not like, oh, Lord, should I buy the, the Camry or the Accord? The Camry or the Accord, lead me. No, it's not that. It's not personal decision-making. What leading is he talking about? He's saying, here's how you can tell who the true believers are versus who the inward-only believers are. The true believers are those who are being led by the Spirit of God. Led in what way? They're being led in evangelical obedience, not, not legal obedience, but Obedience due to the work of the evangel in their souls. 
It's because I'm a new creature in Christ obedience. It's because I have a new heart obedience. It's because God has written his law in my heart obedience. It's because the Spirit of God empowers me in obedience. That's evangelical obedience. For all who are led by the Spirit of God in that are the true, are the sons of God indeed. Now he goes on. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. When you got saved and God gave you the Holy Spirit, was it a spirit of slavery? Was it like, okay, now I'm, now I'm a slave, I'm a slave of Jesus. Got to work my way through this Christian life. Is that what it was? It wasn't that. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery back into fear. He's talking to people about what it was like in the Old Testament, fear. But... You have received the spirit of adoption, not slavery, but adoption. There is a sense in the New Testament in which every believer should see himself or herself as a slave. It's the Greek word doulos or douloi in the plural, and we are slaves of God. We are servants of God. James opens his epistle, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a sense in which we are a slave. But the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming into your life is not to make you feel enslaved. Paul's clarifying, no, no, the Holy Spirit comes to make you feel adopted. Let's read on. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And what does he do, the spirit of adoption? Where does that show up? How is it manifested? How do I experience it? Here's how. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, if you're a true believer, you have cried that. You've probably cried that millions of times if you've been in Christ more than a half a day. It's like, Father, Father, Father. That was never there in your life until you called upon the name of the Lord, and now it's there in your life all the time. Where did that come from? That's the Holy Spirit producing in you that sense that he is my Father. I adore him. I am his son or daughter. He loves me with an everlasting love. We have this relationship of a father and a child, and it's love, and I have this Abba, Father, welling up within me. What's that Abba mean? Where does it come from? It's, here it is, end of that verse. When you're Abba-ing, it's because the Spirit himself is bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what's he saying? Every time you're, you're, you're there in life and something good or bad is going on and the good or the bad alike make you go, oh, Father, where did that come from? That's the Spirit of God in you, giving you the sense that He is your Father and you are a child of God and you're indeed one of the redeemed. So all who are led by the Spirit into evangelical obedience experience that Abba, that sense given by the Spirit, I am His blood-bought child, He is my heavenly Father, and we cry Abba, footnote. There are some popular writers in our day who say that Abba means daddy. There's a book called The Shack, and I think The Shack is a downgrade of the word church. And in The Shack, God is downgraded to daddy. It's not scholarly. Don't go there. I'm not going to fault you. If I hear you praying one day and you say daddy, I'm not going to grab you and shake you. All right, I'm glad you love your father. Pray to him. But it's not what the word Abba means. 
Probably the best article on this, written by James Barr, published in the Journal of Theological Studies, volume 39, in 1988. We're on page 46. And the title of the article is, Abba Isn't Daddy. Could that be any more clear? He says, and I quote, It is fair to say that Abba, in Jesus' time, belonged to a familiar or colloquial register of language as distinct from more formal and ceremonious language. But, in any case, it was not a childish expression comparable with daddy. It was a more solemn, responsible, adult address to father, to a father. That footnote is in there in case you read the shack or in case you've bumped into this idea of calling him daddy. See, what we're up against here is we have the transcendence of God and we have the imminence of God. As transcendent, we're amazed. He's other. He's so unlike us. As imminent, he's near and there's love. And if you forget about his transcendence and go all near, then you might wind up calling him daddy. If you, get a, if you forget about eminence and just have his transcendence, you might be afraid to even talk to him. We have both his eminence and his transcendence, and we call him Father. Then what's the Abba part? That's a different language for Father. He's giving us two different languages, and that is Aramaic. So what we're looking at is, let's get this slide, what he did, he adopted us. We're going to look next at what we were like when he did it. We were dead, but let's stay a minute for what he did. He adopted us. So here's the point. Paul says, blessed be God. Well, I'm having a hard time blessing God because I didn't get the job and I didn't get the car and I didn't get the girl and my dog died. And it's a country western song developing here, but it didn't, didn't go real good in my life right now. So I'm having a hard time blessing God. And Paul's saying, let me give you reasons why you can bless God. I want you walking around blessing him, blessing the Lord. So reason number one is he chose you. That was last week. Reason number two is he adopted you. That's this week. And he adopted us so that we would know him as father. I get to live life with a heavenly father. I feel his love in Christ. I adore him as my father and I get to walk with him. So that's what he did. He adopted us. Next, what we were like when he did it. Well, we were dead. We were dead. There's more to that, but we're going to start there. We were dead. In other words, it's not that we were were irresistible. God did not look from heaven at all humanity, equally fallen in Adam, and say, some of them are so attractive. I just got to have them in my kingdom. Like Steve Hartland. Oh, if I could just get him saved. He's so amazing. Was that my wife who said that? Was it? Oh, oh. I can't preach anymore. God didn't say that. She's right, not. We were a ragtag band of snot-nosed, stinky socks, spiritual urchins. Not obedient, law keepers, not holy, not spiritually attractive. What were we like when he did it? When he adopted us, we were dead. Here's a verse, Ephesians 2. We have to jump over to chapter 2, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead. All right, that's clear. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. That was you, own it. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That was you. 
So when he chose you and when he adopted you, it's not because you were remarkable and you did amazing things that distinguished you from other base humans. No, rather, you were, you were dead. There was nothing in you that made him say, oh, I like that one. Tell me now. Come on, come on, come on, come on. What's a characteristic of a dead person? Well, they don't respond, right? If you talk to them, they don't answer, right? If you tap them on the shoulder, they don't turn and see what's going on. Dead people are unresponsive. When the Bible describes us as spiritually dead, it means we're unresponsive to God. His word doesn't get in. This is what God said would happen to the race when he told Adam and Eve, don't eat that one forbidden fruit. Everything else you can eat, don't eat that one fruit. Why? Because in the day that you eat of it, dying you shall die, which is the Hebraic way of saying, surely you shall die. It's an intensifying way. They repeat it, dying you shall die. You'll really, really die. They died. Not only they, but all we sinned with him and fell in him in their first transgression, and we are all born dead in our trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead before a righteous father, not irresistible, not attractive, not gorgeous, dead in our trespasses and sins. He goes on in Ephesians 2, 3, and you were by nature, the nature you got from Adam, the nature you were born with, you were by nature, here's how you were born, children of wrath. We all got our start right there. You were in your mother's womb as, and you came out of your mother's womb and were a child of wrath, like the rest of mankind, all of us. We all start there on life on this planet, children of wrath. And that's when he chose us. And that's when he said, I love them and I want to adopt them. That one and that one and that one and that one. He goes on to say a little later in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 12, and 13, speaking mainly to the Gentiles in the group, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. That's what we were when he chose us. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. You were without God in the world. Amen, was that you? That was me. No hope and without God. But now, thank God for the but nows of the Bible, but now, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's my father. I'm his child. I'm brought near. I was a baffled, rootless, religiously neutered neo-barbarian. That's from Frankie Schaefer, by the way, son of Francis Schaefer. And now I'm brought near. And in Christ, I get to be a son of the King of Kings. I mean, Is there anybody in this room today who's the son or daughter of an actual dignitary? Like, is there anybody here whose parent has been a president of the United States? And if you don't like the current one, take the one before that. And if you don't like either, go back to you, find one you like, and imagine that's your parent, all right? Wouldn't it be amazing if you were like, yeah, yeah, my my dad was president. All right, maybe not quite that. Maybe your mom was a Supreme Court justice. How cool would that be? Hey, what's your mom do? Oh, she's a Supreme Court justice. That'd be all right, huh? But you know who you are if you're in Christ? My heavenly Father is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the sovereign who spoke and it all happened. He said, let there be light and there's light. We'll all stand before him at the last day and give an account. So 
What did he do? He adopted us. What were we like when he did it? We were dead. Then what's the reason that he did it? Why would he do it? And he's going to give us the reasons. But I'm summarizing it this way. It's to the praise of his grace. Let's go back to Ephesians 4, B, and read. In love, there's one reason. Why did he do it? Because his love. He set his love on objects of mercy. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Why? According to the purpose of his will, because he willed to. That's why. That's what the text says. It doesn't say, oh, no, it's because he saw things in you. It's because you distinguished yourself, because you were wonderful, because you were attractive. No, no, no. Why did he predestine you for adoption? Because he willed to, according to the purpose of his will in eternity past. And why else did he do it? To the praise of his glorious grace. Why did God choose you and predestine you for adoption? Because you would then be to the praise of his grace, his mercy, his redemptive love. Why does God do anything? Why has God done anything? Why did he create? Why did he allow the fall? Why did he send a redeemer? It's all here. You are here to bring glory and honor and praise to God as he reveals himself through the fall and redemption. Do you understand that? Like, he's not your cosmic dispensing machine. He's not here to come at your beck and call, cosmic bellhop. Oh, God, come. I need you right now. No, 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 no. You're here to give him glory. Some people think, well, what kind of a God is that to stand there? Like, I need glory. No, 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 it's not like that at all. It's like this. So there are several states that have the Grand Canyon. I'm going with Utah, all right? It touches several states. Somebody corrected me in the last hour. No, 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 it, it is Utah. I'm sticking with it. I've been there. The people in Utah are nice people. They say, come to our state and see our Grand Canyon. And you don't say, well, how arrogant of you. You need our praise. No, you say, thanks. Really? You'd let me see it? And have you, how many have seen it? Have you, seen, you stand there and you just go, and it gets, you know, all these photons of light flooding into your brain. It takes your brain a while to catch up. And after a while you realize it's getting bigger. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You're seeing more and more and more of it. You're registering more of it. And it's just astounding. And it's a good thing to see the Grand Canyon. It's a better thing to see God's grace. We would never see God's grace if there was not a fall, if there were not fallen sinners, if there were not sinners who needed forgiveness, we would never know God's mercy or God's grace or God's love as we can know it in Christ and in redemption. Why did God do anything? Why did God allow the fall? Why all of this? Why is God doing all of this? This is why. It is to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So just got to say here to remember Life on the planet, existence, the universe, is not about you. I just ruined some of your days there. You're going like, really? What? Life on the planet is not about you. God's purposes of redemption are not, as C.S. Lewis put it in a book I read many years ago, so this is a rough paraphrase, but he said, some people seem to think that God's plan for the universe is that at the end of each day, it could be truly said, a good time was had by all. 
Now, that's, that's not what this is all for. This is not to give us our best life now. And this is not to help us fulfill, fulfill our full human potential. All this human potential preaching. And all this preaching about your destiny, the church is here to help you reach your destiny. Oh, there's a destiny, all right. <laughs> you better be in Christ. No, he did it for, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. So, next slide. Blessing number one is he chose us. Blessing number two is he adopted us. And you're supposed to respond to that by saying, bless God, bless God. You're stumbling around life. Bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I can't believe it. I've been chosen. I've been adopted. I feel your love. I have the Abba welling up in my soul. But there's a third one we're going to get to. And I want you to note, we're getting into verses 7 and 8. So there. Blessing number three, he redeemed and forgave us. He chose us, he adopted us, he redeemed us, he forgave us. We're going to talk about he redeemed us and forgave us in the time that's left to us. Let's look at it, Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. Blessing number three, he redeemed us and he forgave us. Let's talk about he redeemed us, redemption. It's one of the great words in the New Testament. It's kind of like the word last week. Did you all do what I asked you to do? Last week we looked at the word imputation, and I asked you, this was your homework, go home and use it six times in, a, in six sentences during dinner. Did you? How many did? What am I preaching for? That's one of the great words is imputation. Your sins get imputed to Christ. He bears them in in his body on the cross, his righteousness gets reckoned to you, imputed to you, and God sees you righteous in Christ. That's imputation. Great word. Don't lose it. But this is another one of the Bible's great words for the whole theme of what happens in Christ. It's the word redemption. So loved that it's been the theme of many songs. Here's one from the Moody Sankey era with the author of the song, Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy. His child, that's, that's adoption. And forever I am. I think she's been reading Ephesians 1. I'm adopted and I'm redeemed. By the way, when I first ran into that song, I was a brand new Christian. I had just come out of seven years from when I was 13 until I graduated high school. Most of that time I was not a believer and my sole love in life, my only ambition, my great desire, the thing I constantly attended to was I wanted to be a world-class and famous and rich rock and roll drummer. Had really long hair and the whole thing. So all I did was play drums. That's all that meant anything to me, really, was, was play drums. Then I was saved and psh, that all went right away. Like, psh, that thing. So I went off to Bible college and... All of a sudden, there are these songs I've never heard, man. Like, it's a whole different genre, and it wasn't cool. <laughs> and, and we would sing that song I just quoted to you, Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb. And in chapel at Bible College, it was um, Dr. Now, all of a sudden, I can't remember his name. 
It was Dr. What's-His-Name. And he was, he was a song leader in chapel often, and he had this manner of song leading that came from that Moody Sankey era where he would like, it was like follow the bouncing ball, but the ball was his hand, and he'd be doing this. And then he got to certain notes, and he'd hold them like that, and you had to keep singing that note as long as he's doing that. And people were asphyxiating and falling over and passing out. And he would do it with that song. It would be like, redeemed, and he just held it for a long time, and I hated it. But I learned the song, and I remember it. Redemption, the theme of many great songs. Let me show you the Greek words and the English transliteration and then the English translation. Here it is. It's apolutrosis. The apa on the front is in parens because that is an intensifying preposition. Sometimes the word appears just lutrosis, no apa, and that just means redemption. When the apa is on front of it, as it is some of the times in the New Testament, it means redemption. It's intensifying. We do that in English. We add prepositions to intensify words. Like you could say, I ate it. And you could say, I ate it up. What's up have to do with eating? Nothing. It's an intensifying preposition. It means I really ate it. Same with this word. You can have redemption. You can also have really redemption. And both of these appear in the New Testament. It's used many times. Both of these words are. Let me give you some good examples quick. Romans 3.24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Or 1 Corinthians 1.30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He became redemption to us. Or Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Or again, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed, that's the apolutrosis word, but here translated ransom for some reason. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So it's a term that's used much in the Old Testament. It's rich in meaning. What does it mean? Let me give you a quick definition. Here's what redemption means. Redemption is deliverance by the payment of a ransom. It is being bought back out of slavery. So here are the roots of the meaning of this. It has Old Testament roots. So in Old Testament times, you're not doing too good. Your business goes belly up. You fall into poverty. You lose your house. You lose your chariot. I almost said car. You lose your stuff. And what do you do? You've got to provide for yourself and your family. So you would sell yourself into servitude. You would become somebody's slave. Now, the Hebrews had a term. If you're a Hebrew, they could only keep you for seven years, and then there was a year of jubilee. There was a year of release, and they had to let you go. Or, in the meantime, a rich relative could come along and say, how much do I have to pay to release him? And they say, well, Steve, five bucks. <laughs> All right, here's, here's five bucks. Let the poor guy out. And, and now I'm released. That is apolutrosis. That is redemption. That is payment of the price to release the slave. And, and that's the, the Old Testament background of our New Testament word. And of course, in redemption, in the New Testament, it is Jesus Christ who pays the price. And what was the price? It wasn't five bucks, friends. It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
By the way, speaking of the blood of Christ, let's not get too modern. Let's not get too sophisticated like some people do. And they're like, well, that's barbaric. That's a bloody religion. That's an Old Testament God. We don't need that anymore. Let's be done with the blood. Let's just have God as love. No, no, no. Cornerstone Church, we're going to stick with the blood, right? Yeah, we're sticking with the blood of Christ. That's the precious value that Christ had to pour out to redeem, excuse me, to redeem people to himself. And Jesus Christ spoke about this. Look at Matthew 20 and verse 28. He says, I have not come to be ministered to, but to give my life a ransom for many. What does Paul tell the Ephesian elders, Acts 20, 28? Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He bought you with his blood. He bought you out of slavery. He bought you out of sin. Or again, Hebrews 9, 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, Old Testament sacrifices, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, the presence of God, once for all having obtained eternal redemption. So what are we seeing? Back to our verse. We can bless God because we're chosen. We can bless God because we're adopted. We can bless God because we're redeemed. But there's a little more before we're done. Let's look at the verse again. Um, Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, Now, what's that? Those two are tied very closely together in the Greek. That's why I'm dealing with them as one. What is the forgiveness of trespasses? So a trespass in the Bible is a stepping over a boundary, just like it is in our day. God creates boundaries, therefore our good. Like if you want to let your children play outside, you create a boundary. You put up a fence and you tell them, don't open the little door and go through the fence. Stay inside the fence. Why? Because there's cars out there will run you over. There's dogs out there will bite you. You stay inside the fence. We don't like it. It's for your good. So God gives us commandments. They're fences. They're for our good. They're to keep us from things that are harmful to humanity, that are harmful to people. What do we do? We do this. And we step right over all our lives transgressing, violating God's commandments. Here's the concept of transgression. It's um, of trespassing. It's stepping over a boundary. Have you ever done that? Have you ever trespassed? Some of y'all are criminals. (laughs) So going way back, try to keep the story short, Steve. Uh, There was a time when we lived in a 200-year-old farmhouse. The only way we had to heat it was with a wood stove. We'd go out in the woods and cut wood. I had a big old pick-em-up truck, and a friend of mine had a chainsaw, so it was teamwork. We both needed wood. We'd go out in the woods together. He was a United States forester, and he had access to wood. So he'd get his permission. We'd go to somebody's farm, and we'd cut the downed wood and haul it home. Well, we were out there cutting away one day, and here comes a farmer up through the woods with a shotgun like this. And Len says to me, uh, you stay here. He got out his badge, his Forrester badge, and walked toward the man. And so they're down there talking for a while. I couldn't hear them. And after a while, they're smiling. They're laughing. They're pointing around. Then Len comes back and says, we're on the wrong farm. <laughs> that was trespassing. So, yeah, I've trespassed. I won't tell you about it any of the other times, all right? We have all trespassed. We have all violated God's commandments. We have all stepped over the boundaries he has established in his word for our blessing and for our good. But here's what happens. The Bible says, 
Back to the verse. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And what's the standard for that forgiveness? According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Say, Pastor Steve, you don't know how many times I've stepped over God's lines. It's according to the riches of his grace. His grace is greater than all of our sin. No wonder in eternity future, Revelation 5, 9, please, we will be singing, thou art worthy for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. No wonder the great hymn writer Charles Wesley wrote, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No wonder another one wrote to him, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the name of, nothing but the blood of Jesus, pardon me. So in him, we have redemption and forgiveness. We're bought back from the slave market. Our debts are paid. And we're supposed to bless God. So let's review. Blessing number one, he chose us. There's a slide. Blessing number two, he adopted us. Blessing number three, he redeemed us and forgave us. I have just two simple points in closing. Number one is, here's why this is in the Bible, so that you will live blessing God. Yes, God has given you something in your life that you don't want, and you're having to live with it. And yes, you're asking God to take something away out of your life, and he's not taking it away, and you have to live with it. And life can be very hard, and I am sympathetic. But the Bible doesn't say, God doesn't just say, oh, they're there. He says, here's the help you need. I want you to reckon on these things. You can bless me in spite of what's going on when you reckon on the fact that I have chosen you in Christ, I have adopted you, I have forgiven your trespasses, I have redeemed you by the shed blood of Christ. That's enough. There's more coming another day. That's enough that you ought to be able to say, all right, bless God. I didn't get the house, I didn't get the job, I didn't get the wife, I didn't, my dog died, I didn't get the truck, but I have redemption in Christ. It's good. So that's number one in closing, live blessing God. Here's number two. Maybe you're realizing you're not a Christian. Maybe throughout this message you've been saying, you know what, I don't have that Abba. I don't have some great love for God. And I like stepping over the boundaries and transgressing, and I don't feel bad about it. It doesn't wound my conscience. Maybe you don't have redemption and you don't have forgiveness. I've got good news for you. You can have it today. You just go straight to the Lord Jesus Christ. Call upon his saving name. Plead the merits of his shed blood for sinners like you and sinners like me. And I'm going to try and lead you there right now. Would you bow and pray with me, please? Father in heaven, there's some here today. There's some listening with us online who need to know the Lord Jesus as their God and their Savior. Father, we are pleading with you now that you would draw them by the power of the Holy Spirit and that right now they would bow the knee and they would say, Lord Jesus, you're my Lord. Lord Jesus, I believe on you. May your blood wash away my transgressions. May your redemption Redeem me from the slave market of sin. Make me one of your blood-bought children, Lord Jesus, and give me grace to follow you, to be led by your Spirit as a child of God. 
Father, many of us are believers, and we just pray that you will strengthen us with these words from your word. We pray that you'll make us people who live our lives blessing and blessing and blessing you because you have so richly blessed us. We pray for all in the name of Jesus with thanksgiving. Amen.